Welcome to Sound Encounters, the show where I take you on a musical journey as we explore different genres, bands and artists, and new and classic releases. I'm Cesar Torres, and I'll be your guide today. Welcome to the 40th episode of Sound Encounters. It's kind of hard to believe that I've done 40 episodes of this show already, but here we are, 40th episode, and it kind of feels like I've been gone for a while. You know what I mean? Like, it's been two weeks since I've done this show by myself, and it was great to have Edward on the the, the two weeks in a row for the Tool episode and the April Fool's episode. And I, I really hope you guys enjoyed those episodes because we had so much fun making both of those episodes, especially that Viper April Fool's episode. And if you really enjoyed that April Fool's episode, you thank Edward because I had nothing planned. I didn't, I wasn't thinking of making an April Fool's episode. I was more concerned with like, oh, what genre guide do I do? What other artist guide do I do? And, I, you know, of course I was planning this one because Essentials was right around the corner. But he had that idea, and I'm grateful for that because we had a lot of fun. We're Viper fans. I'm pretty sure both ironically and unironically, we we enjoy Viper's music and sort of have a great time just sort of dissecting parts of Viper's lore, um, you know, the Hornets of Death and that that sort of stuff. And I even installed, the, you know, that Viper song you heard at the beginning of that episode and, and the vape effect into the Roadcaster Pro for that. So we were really going all in for this, that for that Viper episode. And like I said, I had a blast making it. We had a blast making it. And maybe in the future, we'll get Edward back on the show. I think uh, the, on the Tool episode, I had mentioned that we were thinking about doing hyperpop. And that's a genre that, you know, I didn't expect that I would like when it first you know, became really popular and that's a genre that I don't think he even thought that he would like, but we were both fans of, you know, artists like Hunter Gax and Dorian Electra and Sophie Rest in Peace. So maybe I'll get, you know, him back for a hyper pop episode. So you'll have that to look forward to. But anyway, you know, it's it's been a while. It feels like it's been a while since I've done this show because I haven't done it by myself. But I'm back just in time for an Essentials episode. And this is a really significant one. This is one where we have to get serious because I'm going to cover John Coltrane's A Love Supreme. But before we get into that, I kind of want to go over what I've been listening to recently because truth be told, I haven't been keeping up with recent releases until a couple of days ago, about a week ago, probably. Because, you know, I, I, I listen to music to prepare for this show. <laughs> you know, I listen to Viper was listening to Tool and then John Coltrane and then actually listening to Coltrane has made me delve more into jazz again. It's like every spring I love to restart or start listening to jazz again. And aside from Coltrane, you know, I, I picked up uh, Thelonious Monk again and Sun Ra and I started listening to other uh, artists that I just kind of neglected like Sonny Rollins and Art Blakey. So I, I really get sidetracked when it comes to listening to new releases or songs that, you know, I've just, or, or, or bands and artists and albums that I've just put on hold because I get distracted. But in terms of new releases, I, I have listened to a handful of albums from artists that, you know, I've been excited to listen to or, or we're looking forward to dropping this year and new artists, as well as some artists that, you know, 
have kind of bored me in the recent uh, past. Like the new King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard album, I wasn't really looking forward to, especially how much I kind of disliked their last release. But surprisingly, this new one, uh, LW, is better than last year's, but not by much. There's more progressive elements in this new record and, and, and intricate arrangements. But I'm just not impressed with King Giz's style anymore. You know, it seems like they have this formula that they go by now, and it makes their music less exciting to listen to. But I would be lying if I said I did not enjoy this release more than last year's. I didn't save it to my Spotify library, though. Honestly, I think I've really fallen off with uh, King Giz's uh, music. I just, I, I don't think I'm as excited about their music as I used to be. And I think ooh, we'll have to see because a new Brockhampton album just dropped, but you know, I'm recording this before it drops. And that's another uh, group that I just haven't been in. Like I was really into them when they first got popular and then Ginger came along. No, no. Well, before Ginger, there was Iridescence and I liked Iridescence. I didn't love it as much as the Saturation Trilogy, but I liked it. And then I didn't like Ginger. And now with these new singles that are coming out, I like them, but I'm not excited for this new Brockhampton release. Um, I kind of just sidetracked there, but I feel like King Giz and Brockhampton are like similar, not similar groups, but I started listening to them around the same time and I was really into them until I wasn't and, and, and started even like making fun of them. But we'll see how this new, you know, Brockhampton album holds up. We'll see if, you know, King Giz changes their formula in any way or, you know, delve into a new genre because I like to do that. But, you know, as of recently, those are two bands that I just haven't really cared for. But getting back on track, I listened to the new Armin Hamburg project, um, which they collaborated with uh, The Alchemist on this album. It's called Haram, and it's an impressive abstract hip-hop release. I mean, it's no secret that I love Armin Hammer. I feel as if they can do no wrong, and teaming up with Alchemist is probably the smartest decision they have made recently. Alchemist's uh, psychedelic and eerie production works hand-in-hand with Billy and Elucid's introspective and meditative and sometimes funny bars. And, and I think this release is better than last year's Shrines, although not by much, but I loved the return to the grittier and atmospheric songwriting and lyrical writing, which, you know, we saw a bit of on Shrines, but... I felt like that album was more bright and more optimistic, which is something that we definitely needed uh, in 2020. But, you know, they got back to that, their, their grittier roots. Um, and I think Haram is is really impressive, and I, I really enjoyed that record. Some disappointing releases were the latest Cloud Nothings and Ian Sweet albums. Cloud Nothings, uh, always just, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of sick of talking about them because they have disappointed me so many times. And I just, I like, I knew going in that this wasn't going to be anything special. Of course, they have catchy melodies and I enjoy Baldi's performance, but I just, I'm not a fan of the direction that they took their music, especially after Attack on Memory. And it's just, it's, it really sucks hearing their dip in quality. But this new Ian Sweet album, which I had never heard of this group, they're an indie pop like indie rock group and I heard of them through Pitchfork and this new record of theirs had some catchy tunes a couple of songs that I actually liked like Drink the Lake and Sword but overall not really doing much with the genre and I thought the lead singer sounded a lot like other indie twee pop singers and it was just a middle of the road release for me so 
it's not that I didn't enjoy it, it's just I thought that it's nothing that I haven't heard before. On the other hand, this new Genesis Owosu's album, his debut album, was a surprising one for me because this is a, a newer artist and and I heard about this guy through a friend and I think Anthony Fantano covered you know, his latest release on his YouTube channel. But I, I, I've been really impressed with what I heard on this record because there's so much diversity within it and, and he kind of experiments with different genres. The lyrics are socially and politically conscious at times and I just really love how much personality that Genesis has on this record. It's a fun listen from start to finish. It will most likely appear on my favorite albums of the year, as well, alongside with uh, the new Armin Hammer record. And alongside this new Godspeed You Black Emperor album, which I've talked about quite a bit on social media, which by the way, you should follow Sound Encounters on social media if you haven't already. Go to at Sound Encounters on Twitter and Instagram for banger tweets, updates, sometimes memes. But anyway, I have talked quite a bit about this record on social media, and I won't talk about this new Godspeed album here because I want to save a full discussion of this record for next week. Yep, I'm gonna I'm gonna go there again. The last time I did an analysis episode, I'm pretty sure it was. Sufjan Stevens, The Ascension. But next week, I want to cover God's P at State's End and give it the attention it deserves. But yeah, that's all of the new releases that I've been listening to recently. And I think this intro has gone long enough. And I want to talk about John Coltrane. Right, so for this Essentials episode, I knew I wanted to talk about jazz, but it, it, I, I've been wanting to talk about jazz for a while now, but I, I just didn't know how to, and I just wanted to be absolutely sure that, you know, I got all my my facts right, I can talk about all the terms, which I'm still not sure if I'm, I'm confident enough talking about just Every single thing, you know, I, I feel like I haven't, you know, listened to enough jazz records. But talking about metal when talking about Tool made me feel more confident uh, in talking about genres that I love but haven't covered on the show yet. And, you know, of course, this is including jazz. And, and, and actually, because I felt more confident talking about metal, there, there might be a uh, metal episode coming soon. Who knows? Uh, but for this week, I knew it was time for another Essentials album. And I thought it would be a great time to start talking about jazz because it is a genre that I love, even though there's tons and tons of subgenres. So I, I just didn't know where to start. There are many jazz musicians that I can talk about, like, you know, Miles Davis, Thelonious Monk. Cannonball Adderley, Charles Mingus, but I thought there was no better place to start than with John Coltrane. Coltrane is a massively influential saxophonist, making his mark on an album like Miles Davis's Kind of Blue, his work with Thelonious Monk, and even iconic records that he's released like Blue Train and Giant Steps. He was always trying to push the envelope and search for 
a bigger sound, a, a, a more experimental sound. The record that he released after releasing this this album that I'm about to talk about, um, Ascension, is a phenomenal example of him just you know going out there, and you know this is an album that's as experimental and noisy and free as free jazz gets. And he was actually inspired by Ornette Coleman uh, for for Ascension. And, and maybe I might talk about that record at some point. But when talking about Coltrane, everyone seems to point at a love supreme, and it isn't difficult to see why. This was a massive undertaking for Coltrane as he wanted to try something different with this record. You see, around this time in his life, Coltrane had a heroin addiction, and he overcame that addiction, thankfully, after getting fired from Miles Davis's band. You know, he would show up to practices and sessions looking disheveled and, and, and drunk. And after he, he kicked this addiction, he had this epiphanous religious experience, according to him, and, and wanted to craft something that would give back to God. So throughout this album, Coltrane is trying to communicate with God and give thanks to God. And at the same time, he's trying to search for some higher meaning. He's trying to, his music was an extension of his spiritual journey. He secluded himself in his home for about five days trying to figure out the music. And after those five days, you know, he ended up figuring it out and had this sense of fulfillment, according to his wife, Alice Coltrane. As a result, you get this four-part suite. Coltrane gave the quartet that he worked with little direction. Uh, they learned the music during that session and trusted them because they previously recorded the album. It was 1964's Crescent. Uh, and that quartet, of course, consisted of Jimmy Garrison on double bass, Elvin Jones on percussion, McCoy Tyner on piano, and of course, Coltrane on the tenor sax. The music on this album really reflects Coltrane's spiritual journey. The first movement acknowledgement begins with a gong, and then everything goes quiet until Garrison comes in with this four-note bass motif that lays the foundation for the movement. Then Coltrane comes in with the tenor sax and plays variations on that motif, until he ends up playing the same four notes about 36 times. And while playing this motif, it kind of sounds like he is saying a love supreme, which is something I picked up on only after listening to this song once, because after this, he starts chanting the words a love supreme over and over again. He actually repeats the titular phrase about 19 times. And it sounds like the band joins him in this chant, but this is just Coltrane being overdubbed so it's just him i do have this sense of spiritual awakening in this track especially listening to the chanting at the end and it really prepares you for the journey you are about to go on one of my favorite things about re-listening to this album is that i had learned that this was coltrane's sort of spiritual journey this is the spiritual experience for him and within that context I, I found a new found appreciation for this record and what Coltrane was trying to achieve on this record. And before I move on to the second movement, this is probably one of my favorite solos from Coltrane. And I have to commend Jones and Tyner on 
percussion and piano, respectively, uh, especially Jones, who is an incredible drummer, and we'll see more of his incredible drumming later on. Resolution begins with a subtle bass riff before exploding with excitement. I'm not exaggerating. The first time I heard this track, Coltrane's sax scared the shit out of me. But this is another one of my favorite uh, performances from Coltrane. You know, his sax playing sounds very turbulent here, especially at the start. I believe this connects to Coltrane's journey as possibly being a moment of doubt, a moment of uncertainty in his spiritual awakening, and that's why it sounds the way that it does. Regardless, it sounds amazing, and it's definitely one of the more memorable jazz performances I've ever heard. But I want to talk about Tyner's piano solo briefly, because I think it's my favorite performance of his on the record. It's its own self-contained journey in a way, because it's equally chaotic and tempered, and I was just mesmerized by the journey that you know it, it sort of takes during its runtime. It's definitely the, the standout moment of this movement. And then part three, uh, Pursuance, begins with quite possibly the best jazz drum solo I've ever heard. Jones really channels this disorderly energy that's surrounding this record and creates this violent yet impressive solo. The first time I heard this track, I think I replayed the opening moments of this movement a couple of times before continuing uh, with, with the rest of it. It's truly an awe-inspiring performance. And before I move on, like Tyner's piano solo and Jones's drum solo is, is another thing that I really love about this record. You know, it seems like every member gets their time to shine throughout the album. You know, part one has that iconic bass riff. Part two had Tyner's amazing piano solo. And then this track begins with that incredible drum solo. And even on this track, Tyner has another beautiful moment here, but nothing else tops the opening minute and a half of, of pursuance in that, that drum solo. But these individual performances really makes each movement stand out for me because I can also say like, oh, I really want to listen to that Tyner solo or the Jones solo. And I know which track that I want to hear. And, and, and it really makes it stick out to me in my mind. At 10 minutes, this is the longest piece in A Love Supreme, and it's titled Pursuance, which only makes me assume that this is the moment in Coltrane's journey where, where he spent the most time seeking that, you know, spiritual connection that he was so desperate to find. This is the most cathartic piece for me because it feels like the most f freeing. Again, we have that tumultuous energy behind it as it seems like Coltrane is throwing everything at the wall here, hoping something sticks. Unfortunately, I think everything sticks here, from the blaring sax to the unruly percussion to the wild piano and the bass line that acts as the glue holding everything together. This really sounds like Coltrane is, is giving his all to connect and, and communicate with God. Even the final moments on this track, you know, after the other three members of the band have stopped playing, Garrison is still playing, making for a, a calming moment after the storm. It really is a liberating feeling. And then this final moment, Psalm, builds upon the final moments of the previous movement. It's a real calm, it's an understanding of God and, and you know, trying to find peace with God. And I love what Coltrane does on this track. 
you know, he takes the words of the A Love Supreme poem that he wrote that's in the liner notes of this record and essentially recites it as he is playing. He called this musical narration and none of the other band members knew what he was doing until after the fact. And I'm not going to recite this entire poem. It's pretty lengthy and you can find it easily if you do a quick Google search. But it is an enlightening poem and synthesizes what Coltrane aimed to achieve on this record. The poem begins with, I will do all I can to be worthy of thee, O Lord. It all has to do with it. Thank you, God. And then the poem ends with elation, elegance, exaltation, all from God. Thank you, God. Amen. It feels like a, a sermon. And because of that, you know, these final moments of the record feel really powerful. This is the end of Coltrane's journey. And what an ending. I enjoy the atmosphere that the piano and drums provide here as Coltrane is primarily the sole focus as he pours his heart out. This is really his track uh, because this is his moment where he professes his commitment to this higher power. And I may not be a spiritual person, but I can see how significant this moment is for Coltrane and how beautiful this moment is uh, for the entire record. And that's the four-part suite, a roller coaster of emotion and expression. And while it's not my favorite Coltrane record, although it's pretty up there, like probably my number two pick of his, but this is one of jazz's most significant releases. It's one of the most, it's most impressive outputs and, and a defining moment for Coltrane in the genre. But enough about that, even though I really enjoyed talking about this record, but I want to hear from you. What is your favorite moment from this record? Is this your favorite Coltrane project? Let me know on social media at Sound Encounters on Twitter and Instagram, or you can send me a voice message via anchor.fm or soundencounterspodcast.com, or there's a link in the podcast description that'll take you to where you need to go to send me that voice message. Please let me know what you think about this record because I would love to continue this John Coltrane discussion. And that does it for this week of Sound Encounters. Make sure to tune in next week for another exciting installment. Like I said earlier, gonna talk about that Godspeed, you Black Emperor album. In the meantime, you can follow the Sound Encounters Twitter and Instagram pages with the handle at Sound Encounters. I post updates and share music memes on those accounts, and I interact with the lovely people who give my posts a like and a comment. You can also send me a voice message through Anchor to recommend a topic I should talk about, or you could give me some feedback. And if you do, I'll give you a shout out on the show. Just go to anchor.fm forward slash soundencounters or soundencounters.com or follow the link in the podcast description to send your message. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and that too could be featured in an upcoming episode. All right, that about wraps it up. Rock on music explorers. I'll see you next week. Ciao.